just don't know when the next big idea is in front of you and you have to be willing to sort of take take a risk. Have you ever wondered how'd she end up with that job or maybe wonder what his background is? Welcome to How I Got Here. I'm Doug Ullman and this is How I Got Here. I'm your host, Reed Smith. Man, I, I appreciate you coming on and spending a few minutes. I think, uh, of course, a lot of people know your name and, and follow you on Twitter and stuff like that through the years. We'll, we'll get to some of that. But uh, first, though, you, now you grew up, correct me if I'm wrong, but you grew up in kind of the, is it the Baltimore area? Is that is that a fair way to, to say that? Exactly. I grew up right between Baltimore and Washington. And, and for those that aren't familiar, um, I think you've told the story a time or two, but uh, talk a little bit about like actually where you grew up because people like a planned community is not, con- well, I mean, I guess it is kind of commonplace now or people think of planned communities, um, but talk a little bit about where you grew up specifically. Yeah. So I grew up in, in what was the first planned city in America um, called Columbia, Maryland. And it's you know, again, right between Baltimore and Washington, it's coming up on, you know, 60 years of existence. Um, and so it was built at a time when it was sort of the height of the civil rights era. Um, mm. It was farmland. It was not congested and overpopulated the way that region of the country is today. And a visionary developer decided to build a city from scratch. Um, and, uh, and just, you know, had, had a, a, a dream that he could create a place that brought people together, people from diverse backgrounds and people who wanted to, to truly live sort of in a, in a community. And that's, that's what he did. Is that oddly, it's funny to, to hear you talk about that because obviously when that was done and certainly even through your growing up years, uh, well, probably just until 20 years ago or so, it was still very much an in-person community. And that's, I think, you know, one of the reasons people gravitated towards social media, Facebook, Twitter, things like that was this ability to connect as growing up in that community did that uh, put a certain lens on the way you thought about, you know, participating online and things like that? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, as, as any of us, like when you grow up, you don't know any different. So you think <laughs> yeah. you are normal. And so in hindsight, I definitely was, was raised in a, in an environment that fostered certain values and characteristics but at the time, I didn't know that was any anything different than anybody else had experienced. And so it wasn't until I went away to college and sort of removed myself from that physical environment that I realized, oh, maybe this was a little bit unique. And, you know, some of those values were things like, you know, you should be involved and you should find ways to serve the community and you should give back and you shouldn't wait for other people. Uh, if you saw a need, you should fill it and, and try to do what you could to to help those around you. And, you know, those sound like basic things, but when they're fostered by not just your family, but by the bigger environment in which you're living, um, it can be, it can be pretty powerful. Do you feel like that's where your kind of drive or motivation um, from a career perspective came from? I mean, you've been in kind of that service 
industry world uh, profession, if you will, uh, for some years. Is that is that kind of where that motivation came from? Yeah, I definitely, I definitely feel like that's where it started. This idea that in a community you, you have to participate actively, and if you do, and if others do as well, everybody benefits. You know, it's it's sort of the the ultimate impact is bringing more people in to participate uh, will will benefit the, the entirety of the group. And you know, I think I always had that instilled in me. And then, lo and behold, I you know had my own sort of cancer experience, which which put me into this specific field. But the idea of trying to bring people together mm. and trying to do things as a group that none of us could do on our own—that to me is is what drives most of what I try to do. So you, you mentioned it, but let, let's skip ahead a little bit. So you, you grew up uh, obviously playing sports, specifically soccer, uh, went and played uh, collegiate level soccer. And, you know, uh, was it your freshman year? I'm trying to remember your freshman year when you first got diagnosed with, uh, with cancer. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. My first diagnosis was the summer after my freshman year. Um, and as you mentioned, I mean, I was 19, I was super healthy. I know that sounds ironic given that I was diagnosed, mm. but, uh, but super healthy and, and never had a, a, a worry or a fear, um, about my future health or well being until I ended up, uh, diagnosed with a really rare type of sarcoma. Um, and, and it just, you know, as, as you can imagine, it just changed, changed everything. Well, good thing that there was the internet, right? And you could just look all this stuff up and, you know, connect with everybody. And I talk about that though, because uh, you and I are about the same age. And I I remember being in college in kind of the mid nineties. And if like you were going to get on the internet, like you had to physically like get up and go to a location, the computer lab, like on campus. And I want to say that was probably my first email address, maybe, uh, was at school. And I'm not even sure I got it my freshman year. But in any case, talk a little bit about that experience, because I don't think people have quite put that in context of of now. Anytime you have a little bit of an ailment, you know, what's the first thing you do, right? I mean, you're going to the computer and, you know, you've got some grave illness by the time you get off the computer, certainly. But um I, talk a little bit about that time in your life and just kind of what that was like. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I mean, I went to, well, I mean, true story. I went to the library. <laughs> so you know, with a covered you know, catalog that, and um, everything probably. Yeah. I mean, imagine, imagine going to the library and, and trying to look up chondrosarcoma and figuring out, whether it's the encyclopedia or some other medical textbook, trying to sift through and understand something like that. I mean, that's literally what we did initially. And, and yes, there was the sort of initial internet available, um, but it, it, it didn't have the data populated the way it does today. And so um, it was a, it was a lonely time. And, and, you know, again, it's hard to imagine that it was, you know, 20 plus years ago, but but at that point, you didn't have access to the community. You didn't have access to other people who had been down that road and who had blogged about it or uh, or, mm. or podcasted about it or anything. I mean, so, you know, it could be, it was a very isolating 
um, experience. So, um, soccer was a big part of your life. You ultimately come back and, and play soccer post diagnosis, right? I mean, you, you, um, I mean, you're yeah. here today, obviously you recovered, you played soccer. And then I think skipping ahead just a little bit, um, start the Ullman cancer fund is, is that the right name? Do I have that right? Yeah. Yeah. So it, yeah, we started that and, and now it's known as the Ullman foundation, yeah. but, um, but yeah, that, that was started out of this need to just connect people because what I realized quickly was that I was fortunate to have everything you would think you would need. So I had amazing family. We had health insurance, we had great doctors. I had teammates, classmates, everything you think you need. And it was still very hard mm-hmm. and very isolating. And so the idea behind the organization was like, well, wait a minute, we keep hearing from more and more people who say, gosh, yeah, I I had cancer when I was in high school, or my sister had cancer, or I know somebody else. And wouldn't it be great if we could just create a way for those people to connect Mm -hmm. and to get peer support and to help those individuals at a time in their life when, you know, they're dealing with unthinkable circumstances. And, you know, that's really that's really how it started. And, and, and I was totally naive and didn't really know what, what we were doing or how we were going to do it. And, um, sometimes I think the best ideas come from a place of, of passion and, and a personal understanding of the issue. And is that the connection to live strong? Cause I think most people, um, uh, or a lot of people obviously first, uh, got to know you, knew about you, that kind of thing, uh, through Livestrong in running that organization. But what was that connection or how did you, how did you move down the path to end up, end up with, with Lance and meeting him and, and ultimately at Livestrong? Yeah, totally. Great question. So I was diagnosed in 1996 and, uh, in 1997, the fall of 97, I had started the Omen Cancer Fund and there was a, an article written about uh, my story and the founding of the organization. And somebody uh, who read that article sent it to Lance Armstrong. Wow. Um, he read the article and he sent me an email. And uh, this was before he had ever sort of competed or won the Tour de France. Um, and so he had been diagnosed in 1996 as well. And basically just reached out and said, hey, I see what you're doing. I'm starting a foundation in Texas. If there's anything that we could ever do together, let me know. <laughs> and you know, back then, one, I wasn't clear as to who he really was um, because he wasn't world famous at the time. Um, well, and, and, I, and I, cy- cycling is such a big sport in, in, the, right, in the U.S. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. yeah, especially back then. Um, yeah. So, uh, so, but, but email at that time was not something you did sort of in your pocket, you know, I mean, it was not something you had on yourself. And so he and I emailed back and forth every few weeks. It was almost like you had a pen pal. Um, and, uh, and it wasn't until uh, the spring of 2000, almost three years later, uh, that we actually met in person. And mm. that at that point, he, he started telling me more about his vision for the foundation that he had started and what they were doing. And one thing led to another. And a few months later, the board asked me if I would uh, move to Austin and, and, and help the organization, which uh, which I did. And so you were there for how many years? 
So I was there. I joined in uh, January of t- 2001, and I was the wow. fourth employee. Wow! And uh, and I and I was there for 14 years. Wow! So you were there um, uh, probably at the time of like card tables and stuffing envelopes and that kind of stuff. I would assume, right? Absolutely. No, absolutely. I. Uh, <laughs> My first uh, desk was a folding table, and it was on the second floor of a little house in West Austin. Um, and uh, it had a slanted roof, and so I probably 50% of the time I stood up, I hit my head um, on the uh, ceiling. Um, but it was all hands on deck, and it was a very fast-paced startup environment um, where you know there were just so many opportunities flying sort of at us and opportunities that we were also creating. Uh, and it was an exciting time. I mean, uh, it, it was, uh, it was wild. <laughs> so what, what did you talk about opportunities coming at you? I mean, obviously as, as Lance went on to win the tour, you know, seven times in a row, uh, certainly the visibility of live strong was, was, you know, heightened kind of by proxy, I guess, to some degree, um, corporate sponsors, Nike and, Trek and different folks, I guess, obviously, uh, kind of weigh into that that equation. But I think probably when, when I think about opportunities, the the yellow wristband is, is probably the one. I guess people that are listening certainly uh, probably have the most common connection to. Maybe um, mm-hmm. how, how you know it, it, what did you see kind of through that process of. There's this yellow wristband. I mean, it was a different kind of uh, philanthropic endeavor, I guess, which I would assume nobody really knew how that was going to go when, when it first came out. Yeah. I mean, look, the, the one thing that we always tried to focus on was how can we best serve the individual with, with cancer? And so that was always our, our belief. And, and so when this idea for, you know, a, a, a wristband came around, you know, one, there weren't other wristbands at the time. So this was a new phenomenon. Mm-hmm. It's easy to look back now and say, gosh, that was a great idea. You know, who would have thought otherwise? But at the time, when you're doing something that's not really been done before, it can be risky and overwhelming. And, you know, I remember Nike pitched us the idea and, and, we didn't love it at first. Um, it was sort of hard to imagine that yeah. people would wear this piece of rubber on their wrist and outwardly show to the world that, that they were a part of this community. And so there was a lot of doubt. Uh, and the other piece that was, that, that was really sort of weighing on us was that we were not an e-commerce organization. We were a cancer survivorship organization. And so to, build the capability of selling items was not something we had really done before. And so there was this sort of idea concept of, is this going to work? And then there was also the logistical operational side of, you know, can we do this? Should we do this? How do we do this? And, you know, that, that just added to the chaos and stress and excitement. And, and ultimately it added to creating a global brand um, because it resonated so uh, deeply with so many people who, you know, frankly, in life are just looking to be a part of something bigger. Yeah. I mean, I think we all want to be a part of something bigger. We want to belong. We want to be in this community. And and the yellow wristband was, I think, a 
a democratic way of uniting people all over the world. Has, has that experience with the wristband specifically changed the way you think about new ideas? Absolutely. Every day. I mean, it, it, it just, you know, it just reinforces um, the notion that you just don't know when the next big idea is in front of you and you have to be willing to sort of take, take a risk. Um, and you also have to be willing to reflect. I mean, I think oftentimes we're in rooms, we're in meetings, we're in conversations and we hear an idea and our immediate reaction is we, we hate it or we love it. And, and we don't often step back a day later or hours later and say, gosh, what do I think of that now? Mm-hmm. And has it changed from my initial emotional reaction? And I think the, the wristband is a good example whereby when we stepped back and thought to ourselves, gosh, there's not been something this simple that gives everybody in the world who wants to an opportunity to express their story and be a part of something bigger, then it made perfect sense. But uh, when you look at it in the moment, sometimes you, you sort of already move on to the next thing and you never go back to revisit. Well, you know, you're back to doing emails again. Correct. 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 Reacting to the world as opposed to being proactive about what might be possible. Yeah. Well, again, most people probably at least have some sort of a um, cursory understanding of what what ultimately uh, happened at Livestrong, I don't know, five, six years ago, whenever that was, time kind of gets away. Uh, with Lance and on, on the cycling side of the equation that ultimately impacted the foundation. But um, what was that time like? What, what did you really kind of glean, you know, in the moment and then certainly since then around uh, just kind of everything that happened at the foundation over that, that period of time? Yeah. You know, I think, look, I, I'm a big believer that we learn the most when we're challenged and whether that's a, a personal challenge or a professional challenge, we're all going to deal with, with things in our lives. And so for me, whether it was having cancer or whether it was living through this sort of professional challenge or, or crisis at Livestrong, you know, if you, if you have the bandwidth to, to, to think and, and reflect, you can learn a ton. And so I learned a lot going through that, that experience. I mean, everything from, you know, h- how to try to over-communicate um, internally and externally and why that's mm-hmm. so important um, as opposed to the natural reaction to those situations, which is to sort of hide or go in the bunker. Um, yeah. That never works. <laughs> um, the issue doesn't go away. You don't solve anything um, and it's hard to move forward. So, you know, communicating and over communicating, even when you don't have the answers is important and, and sometimes challenging. Um, I've learned a lot of other things about, decision making you know you you need to make the best decisions you can even though you have imperfect information and if you don't you will be paralyzed and so it's not about whether you're making the right or wrong decisions but you have to make decisions uh, because people are counting on you your your team is counting on you your community is counting on you uh, the organization is counting on you so um, it can be hard to do but you gotta you gotta make decisions um, the other thing I learned, which, you know, I think is super critical for anybody who's in a stressful environment 
is you absolutely cannot lead anything, a project, a team, a group, an organization, a company, if you're not taking care of yourself. And when things get stressful, you tend, if you're a person who cares about others, you tend to focus on helping others and and neglect your own needs. And so whether that's you stop exercising or you stop eating well, or you stop sleeping well, I mean, it's like a, it's a vicious cycle and you can wake up one day and realize, wait a minute, I'm, I'm not well. And if you're not physically well and mentally well, you can't possibly lead, lead people much less through a, a stressful situation. So, I mean, those are a few things that, that I experienced and, uh, and while I wouldn't wish a crisis on anyone, I do think, you know, when we are challenged, it's it's a great opportunity to learn. Well, I think you know, that one in particular is probably a little out of the norm that, of what a lot of people will certainly deal with uh, from a high profile nature, I guess. Right. I mean, pe- people are going to have illnesses in their personal life or they're going to get, you know, uh, their, their, their job is going to downsize or, or whatever, you know, whatever the scenario is. But I mean, you, you kind of were in the middle of, of, of it all at once um, with quite honestly, nothing of your own doing, you know, causing any of it. And so um, that had to be just a, a strange, a strange thing because most of us don't go home from work and see our organization on sports center or CNN or all of the above. Right. Right. And yeah, uh, it's, not, uh, it's not normal. <laughs> not, not normal and, and probably uh, not a great place for, for a lot of folks. But since then uh, you have, um, I guess the last five or six years now been in an organization, Pelotonia, uh, up in uh, Columbus, Ohio, as part of uh, or kind of affiliated, I guess, with the Ohio State uh, system and, and the James Cancer Center there and things like that. Um, what, what has that experience been like? Because you know, you, you go from um, Livestrong, which uh, was a you know survivorship based, um, you know support based organization uh, in the cancer space to, to another one, which coincidentally has a, an odd tie through cycling, if you will, um, to, to the, to the, obviously to Lance and, and kind of the, the origins of, of Livestrong a little bit, even though it wasn't a cycling organization, but, um, has that been kind of a, was it a strange transition initially, I guess? I mean, obviously you were at Livestrong for a number of years. Yeah, I mean, look, the opportunity to come to Pelotonia was really special uh, for a number of reasons. One, this organization was uh, created and built by some phenomenal individuals who came together and said, what could this community make possible? And when I I had known of their success, and, and actually I had been here uh, over the years and, and met with some of them years before coming here, and um, and so just to watch from afar what this community had done in a very short period of time was pretty remarkable. And as I learned more about it, and I learned about this sort of triumvirate of the the community, uh, the university, and the and the business leaders sort of all coming together around this common uh, cause or this one goal, as we say. Um, was pretty, pretty awesome. And so, um, anyway, I, I just really 
was humbled by the opportunity to come join an organization that had done so much and yet an organization that had unlimited potential. And that's really what I, what I saw. And so the idea for me was like, I, I love building things and I love bringing people together to try to build things that can be impactful. And so um, coming to Pelotonia was a, a, a great opportunity to, uh, to try to build something even greater than had already been created, which was was pretty special. That's really cool. And I, I want to come back to that as well. And, and I think, um, as I think about it, obviously, uh, you joining the organization, people people at Pelotonia obviously knew who you were. They knew who Livestrong was. They do, you know, at least from the media, you know, things that they had seen happen and whatnot. I think when a lot of us change jobs or move organizations or uh, move towns, or maybe we've lost our job and we're joining a new organization, we feel this kind of oddity about like, what do those people know about me? You know, how am I going to fit in? Things like that. What did you kind of learn through that process of just, you know, people obviously know who I am um, and they know who Lance is, you know, based on this organization, you know, was that, was that a weird feeling coming in or have you, have you thought back on that much? I don't know that it was, um, I don't know that it was a weird feeling. I mean, I, I think, um, look, leaving Livestrong was, was very hard, uh, because I'd been there for so long and I mm-hmm. truly loved my experience there and, and the people I worked with. Um, and we loved Austin, Texas. I mean, there were so many positive things, and so, uh, you know, picking up and, and moving to a new city in Columbus and, and taking this new role was, um, I think, an opportunity. I mean, I'm an eternal optimist and I don't ever sort of look back in terms of, of worrying or, or fearful of, of these types of decisions. And, um, you know, to me, the biggest thing was seeing the community. You know, you mentioned this common thread of cycling. The interesting thing is that obviously Pelotonia is, is known for, for executing a massive one of, if not the largest bike rides in the country. Um, but in reality, the vast majority of people who ride in Pelotonia didn't ride a bike actively prior to signing up. Wow. Now, years later, they may have become avid cyclists and many have, but most people who raised their hand and said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to join this community. I'm going to raise money. I'm going to ride in this ride Whether they ride 25 miles or 200 or anywhere in between. They really join for the cause. And then they might get sort of the bug about the sport, um, or, or the value of the exercise benefit. Um, but, uh, but interestingly, it's just a very diverse community of people who want to make a difference in the world. And, and we saw that in spades at Livestrong and I'm seeing it every single day, uh, Pelotonia. And to me, there's no better environment to work in than one where you're surrounded by, um, legends. I mean, we, we talk about people being legendary and the legend next door, the legend in the research lab, the legend who, uh, was diagnosed and, and, and overcomes all odds. I mean, people have, people can create their own legends and, and the Pelotonia community is, is doing that every day. So talk a little bit more uh, about that. I mean, obviously you guys have grown as an organization over the last several years uh, quite a bit, it seems like. Um, what, what gets you excited about this year, next year, uh, just kind of as you continue down this path um, at Pelotonia? 
So I'm, I'm excited about a number of things. One is sort of how do we keep creating opportunities for people who may not be in Ohio or may not be able to be here in Ohio in August to participate in our mission and to fuel uh, innovative cancer research. Because at the end of the day, no matter how many riders we have in our ride, no, how many, no matter how much money we raise, our ultimate goal is to accelerate innovative cancer research. And we're seeing tremendous, tremendous impact that this community is making possible. So last year we were able to announce a, a new uh, pledge of over a hundred million dollars to create a new institute for immuno-oncology. And the beauty of this institute is that it's, it's possible only because thousands and thousands of people have ridden, volunteered, raised money and, and participated in some way. And the beauty of that is that the research that is developed at this institute will be translated to the needs of patients all over the world. And so um, to see the grassroots community fuel a massive research enterprise that will ultimately save thousands of lives, that's what gets me excited. And, and the challenge then is how do we do more of that? How do we create more opportunities for people in the course of their life to say, I care about that, I want to engage, and I want to be a part of it? Um, and that's really what we spend a lot of our time thinking through. That's really cool. So for those that are listening, um, how, how can they get involved? What, what is what is a way? What's the what's the course of action for those that are, that are listening that maybe aren't there in locally? Yeah, totally. So there's a couple of ways. I mean, one is you know you can always come ride, uh, which is is a commitment for for people. Although I will tell you, we had last year riders from 46 states wow. and 12 countries. Um, and, uh, and the percentage of people who comes from outside of Ohio each year is, is growing and growing. Um, you obviously can donate if you would like to invest financial resources. We are very fortunate that a hundred percent of every dollar that is donated to Pelotonia goes to research. All of our overhead is funded by our corporate partners, uh, and, and funding partners, which we are beyond thrilled with. Uh, so every single dollar we raise goes directly to uh, to research, and we fund all different types of cancer research. Uh, we had donors last year from all 50 states and 65 countries, um, so we'd love for people to join us in that way. Um, you can also become what's called a virtual rider, where you sign up online, you create a page, and you commit to raise a minimum of $100, um, and you can do that in any number of ways that you, uh, you choose. Um, so that's a, a third way. And then we also have an app uh, called Pull. It's P-U-L-L-L. Um, and you can download Pull and it allows you to raise money through the course of your daily exercise. It could be running or walking or cycling or spinning or swimming or uh, a, a class you might take at a fitness club. Um, it's a way for people all across the country and around the world to, uh, to be contributing to something bigger uh, on a daily or, or routine basis as they exercise. So. Um, we're developing new ways of engaging people, but those are just a, a few of the ways that people can be involved today. That is really cool. I, I like that. I think the uh, the technology angle obviously uh, is interesting to me and fascinating to me. Um, it, it, it's hard to beat probably the in-person experience in a lot of cases, but um, it's great to not you know have that limiting factor. So. Um, Man, I really appreciate you coming on and, and hanging out for a few minutes and sharing a little bit of your background. Uh, for those that would love to connect with you online, what's, what's the best way to do that? 
Yeah, so I'd love to connect with anybody and everybody. Um, so at Doug Ullman on, on Twitter and Instagram and uh, Doug Ullman and LinkedIn, whatever's easiest for uh, your listeners. I'm always interested in great conversations and again, finding ways to connect uh, with people who have big ideas that would ultimately impact the lives of, of people that we uh, care about. So um, I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for tuning in and listening to this episode of How I Got Here. How I Got Here is powered by Touchpoint Media Network. To learn more about this show and others like it, visit us online at touchpoint.health. Till next time, I'm your host, Reed Smith.